right, and we are back, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside Jonah Tolls. And Jonah, it is victory week for both of our squads. The Cowboys got the victory as well as the Vikings. So we're both feeling good. We're in the playoff hunt right now. So things are looking up. But I must ask, how is everything going with you, man? Man, it's going great. And you know why, Jordan? We've got a news to announce here on the Locked On College Football Podcast. Big board wars, my friend. You ready to go to war of your big board? Because I'm ready, man. I got my pitchforks ready over your rankings, my friend. I'm ready, man. And this is something that we're trying out. And we're really interested in doing this just because we both agree that we agree a little bit too much on this podcast. Way too much. And that's not fun. We always want to have some debate, some differentiation about some things. So we both we got both our big boards out. My big board came out November 30th, so a few weeks ago. And Jonah's just came out uh, this week, I believe, or last week, I believe it was. So uh, last we, Saturday. Yep, we both have big board updates. And there's a lot of similarities, but there's also a bunch of differences as well. And that's something that we're going to get into throughout this show. And, of course, I would be remiss if I did not ask you first. So, what was the biggest shock to my big boy for you? Oh, man. See, there wasn't really some big shock, but I do have some questions for you, my friend. Big questions. Now, let me tell you this. Jeff Gladney, the senior cornerback from TCU. This guy, I I wrote an article about him saying how he's a top-tier cornerback prospect in this draft. You know, slight plug for the draft network there. Um, but I compare him to Desmond Trufant, a guy for the Falcons who was a pro bowler at his peak before he got hurt. This guy was, you know, an elite man, coverage corner. That's why I see Gladney developing into with his speed and ball skills. I have him 19th overall on my big board and my second overall cornerback. I'm not sure where he's at in your cornerback rankings, but in your overall big board, he's 71st. So I value more as a first-round guy. You value more as a third-round guy. I want to know why. So here's the thing with Gladney. I haven't seen a whole bunch of him. I've only seen about three to four games from this year. And, of course, that was about a month ago. So I haven't really had a chance to, like, dive into the tail end of his season. So most of the stuff that I saw was early on in the season. He did play well, but it seems like he really picked it up down the backstretch of the year. So I really haven't got into that for the most part. And I'm really still working my way through the bottom half of this cornerback class and then going back to the top. Uh, during the backstretch to watch some of the backstretch of these games just because I like to stay up to date on a whole bunch of these guys. But I did like what I saw out of Gladney, and I think he has some really good feet. And outside of Jeffrey Okuda, he probably is the one cornerback in this class that probably has the best footwork of any. I would say that I think he deserves big praise with that. He has the length that you're looking for, and, of course, he has the ball skills as well playing in the Big 12. he has a He's getting a whole bunch of passing game reps as well. So, he, he's gotten a lot of experience with this technique as far as being able to polish it up some as well. And I think he showed he showed a lot of promise down the backstretch of last year. And then I liked what I saw early on this year as well. So him ranked 71st, don't take it as a slight. And I know you have him as 19th, so there's a huge disparity there. But I'm playing a little bit of catch up on him just because that's I haven't fair. gotten to the backstretch of his film, if that does make sense. Oh, that's definitely fair. And I think a lot of people will come around on him in the senior bowls. I think he's going to dominate over there this is a guy that i think i've seen his national breaking out party where you're gonna see him a lot in first round mocks and i think even the combine might they might even wait to the combine because he's gonna blow it up over there he might run sub four three he 
He might jump over 40 inches. This guy is going to be a monster at the combine in Indianapolis. I mean, the the one thing that translates more at the quarterback position than any other position coming out of college is twitch in man coverage. And this is something that every cornerback in the NFL has, or good cornerback in the NFL, I may add, has. Look guys like Tredavious White coming out of LSU. This guy was probably the twitchiest quarterback in the entire draft class. And this guy is playing like a top of the corner in the NFL. Marshawn Lattimore, same thing. Look at these top cornerbacks coming out of college and why they translate to the NFL. One of the prerequisites is twitch and man coverage. If you can't stay on the hip pocket attached and route transitions, break on in-breaking, out-breaking routes, with smoothly stay on the hip pocket, you're not going to be able to succeed in the NFL. I know a lot of teams will, you know, we can hide them in zone coverage with the Seahawks, you know, cover three. Every team is going to run some variation of man coverage at some point. So if you can't play man coverage, you can't play a crack in the NFL. That's the bottom line. And to me, Jeff Gladney has some of the best feet in this draft behind Akuda, as you mentioned. And when you look at his overall athleticism, ball skills, physicality, he's a complete package to me. I think he's a little raw in terms of his press technique right now. But in terms of his off-man skill set, his ball skills, this guy provides everything I want in starting quarterback next level. That's why he's my number two overall quarterback in this draft class and a top 20 player on my board. Definitely. And I'm really excited to see him down at the Senior Bowl just because I think the one-on-ones are going to be phenomenal in this class. And there's a lot of length and size associated with both groups on both sides of the ball. So I'm really excited about that. And there's going to be other players that we get into uh, on this big board war, uh, as we mentioned. And another guy that I want to go ahead and just shout out, just because I was watching him today and I wrote up his profile today, Dane Jackson from Pittsburgh. Have you seen a bunch of him? I, I really haven't. And I, I, I'm really trying, trying to wait till Senior Bowl week to watch him. Uh, I, I still have a lot of other guys I need to watch. But Dane Jackson, just from, uh, just from live viewings, I know he played really, really well against Clemson last year in his 2018 tape. He guarded like the, the T. Higgins, Justin Rosses of the world. He had a really good game against Clemson uh, 2018. So that's really the only ex- you know, exposure I have to him. I know live viewings is a really good player in press coverage, long kind of dude. So he's the reason why I think Jim Nagy brought him up. I think he seems like a Seahawks kind of mold kind of player. Yeah. So I'm really interested to see him in Mobile, but I haven't watched a ton of him now. Really like him a lot. I'm a big fan of him. He's probably the guy that's going to be another riser uh, on my next big board update. And I was really impressed with the Pittsburgh secondary overall. They have another safety named Demar Hamlin, who's a really good player oh, oh, yes. as well. Uh, he, he's not, he's not a Senior Bowl guy, but I think he, I think he's going to the Shrine Game, I believe it is. But he's one guy that really impressed me. Good name to remember on day three. Good name definitely. to remember on day three. He's he's a nickel. He's definitely a nickel player at the next level. Definitely. And they also have an underclassman, and I, his name slips my mind, but he's number 12. Oh, my God, man. He will he come down. Oh, he will come down and strike you, man. And it, anytime, anytime a player flashes like that when you're watching somebody else, it's always a good thing, man. I hate I, I don't remember his name because he's probably a guy that we're going to be talking about a lot next year just because I think he's a sophomore. But he's number 12, the safety for Pittsburgh. My God, will he come down and strike you? I haven't seen that. I haven't seen a safety come down and hit in a long time like that. <laughs> Carl Joseph, he reminds you a lot of Carl know, Joseph coming I, out. I know his name. I know his name. He, I, I gave him a TDM Player of the Week. Uh, one is Paris Ford. I believe that's it. Paris Ford. He, yeah. He's a redshirt sophomore. Yeah. He's very good. I think he had like two interceptions and a pick six, like in the middle of the season. I gave him TDM Player of the Week. I, I named the Player of the Weeks for TDM. And I gave him player of the week honors because he had a huge two or three interception game. Yeah, he's he's their strong safety. Very, very good. 
someone yeah. to watch definitely in 2021. Definitely. And there's some other players. Um, did you have any other questions about my big board that you wanted to compare or contrast about? Did I have any other questions? Oh, my friend. Here we go. <laughs> oh, I, I can only start here. One of the bigger risers on my board was Justin Matabu from A&M. Mm-hmm. I like him a lot. I think he can play the one or the three. I love his potential as a one-gap-and-go guy. He's a three-technique guy who can, you know, kind of just shoot the gap, kind of like Malik Collins-esque. Uh, so I'm wondering why, you know, have you seen a lot on him? Is that this guy has is very explosive. I think he has an NFL pass rush skill set. So I'm interested to see. I think he's a top 60 player on my board. Yeah. I'm interested to see why he's 111 on your board because that seems a little low to me. I think I picked the wrong game to watch him. So I watched him against Clemson actually this morning when I was uh, – I actually posted the clip of – That was his worst uh, game of the year. Yeah, it was. So I was watching Travis Etienne this morning, and I got a glance at Matt Abuke as well. And he just didn't show up as much as you would have liked in that game. Yeah. And I think I probably just picked the wrong game to watch of him first, just because it kind of it kind of painted a bad picture of him in my mind already. And that's something that you have to be tricky about, just because you randomly pick these games, you really want to pick the best competition that they go against, and sometimes it's just the wrong game. And that's why I say it's very important to watch. I like to watch at least four to five games, uh, if time permits, per For prospect, sure. just because you get a different variety and you see the ups and downs and the highs and lows. And maybe you do pick their worst game first or you pick their best game first. And that's just something that comes with the job. There isn't a certain order or specific order that we pick these games. We just want to see the best competition that they go against. And that's something that happened with me with Matt Dubuque. I picked the wrong game and it just painted a bad picture in my mind of him against Clemson, but he did have some other promising games throughout the year as well. So he definitely is another guy that will be higher For me, he'll probably end up being a top 75 player for me when it's all said and done just because he's a guy that probably could go in the third or fourth round. I think he could end up being a starter by his second or third year in the league. Now, I will say this about Matt Abuke, and the reason why he's not a top 30 player on my board as opposed to number 63 is because his inconsistency. So you mentioned that against Clemson. I think he's too talented to go invisible for stretches of games, but in flashes, it almost reminds me a lot of Tape and Brian coming out of Florida. Like, yes. in flashes, he would just show this top 10 talent. Like, if you watch his highlights, you probably think he's a top 10 pick just because of how explosive he is, how dominant he, is. he can be as a pass rusher at times. I, I love his hand. You said I love how heavy-handed he is. This guy has all the tools you would want in a one-gap-and-go pass rusher in, in the interior of the defensive line. So I can see why he's going to get a lot of love. Um, that's why I think he'd be one of the biggest risers in this draft, to be honest with you. But – you mentioned that Clemson game. He, he just went invisible. He just didn't show up as much as you want in top prospects. So I can see why some people have him lower. But I think as we move along, as the months go along, leading up to April, he's just going to rise and rise and rise. I think he's going to end up settling somewhere in that 40 to 50 range for me. Um, but another guy I, I wanted to talk to you about was Damon Arnett. You had him, I think, one step, in the 170. I had him 61. And he's got mm-hmm. my 10th overall corner on my board. Um uh, so I, I'm wondering, are you judging Arnett's tape from past years? Have you seen this? Yeah, seen this year? yeah I haven't. Wa- I haven't watched them from this year. Oh, Outside, that, that I have. I've watched Wade and I've watched Akuda, but I haven't watched him in depth this that year. That's why he's so low. So much. That, and, 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 I, and I thought so because mm-hmm. Damon Arnett to me was an undrafted in the first two years. And oh, how crazy that, that sounds. Yeah. And, and how crazy that sounds because he. I thought 
for three straight years. If you saw those bad habits, you're never going to learn out of those. It was a similar situation to Jordan. You remember scouting Jordan Thomas coming to Oklahoma? Yeah. Yep. See, everyone had him as a day two guy. I told everybody right from the beginning, here's a first team all Big 12 selection, everything. I was like, listen, man, this guy is this guy is not going to make an NFL roster. I was like, this guy has poor technique, bad habits. He's been doing it for four years. He's not going to learn anything new. I thought Damon Arnett was was a uh, was Thomas all over again. So I, I I didn't have a I didn't have a, a high grade on him at all coming this year. He completely flipped the script, man. Yep. And maybe it's a one year wonder. I don't know what it is, but this guy is tough. This guy is looking for the ball more. He looks more natural, man. Covers not as antsy. I think he really worked on his footwork and his just overall uh, football intelligence this this off season. You could tell he's just a hard worker. And he's a great athlete, so you know it's there, but it's always just been shadowed by his false steps, inconsistent technique. So I can 100% see why you were lower on him than I was, because if you're basing it off old tape, that makes perfect sense to have him in one sentence. That's why I would have had him if, if I extend my board to 200 in the preseason. But I have him 61, my 10th overall corner. I think he's going to be a guy that just continues to rise, because I think teams are going to love interviewing him. His toughness, competitive drive. He played. I think he's playing. He played through like what a broken hand or broken wrist. Yeah, broken wrist. Insanely tough dude. This guy's been a durable, you know, starter for them. I think teams are gonna fall in love with him. He can play nickel. He play outside. Uh, I'm. I'm just a big. I think some teams might even try to move him to safety. Yeah. Strong is in run support. And you know, even though he's done a good job playing his back to ball this year, I think he's always better playing the ball in front of him and attacking forward more so than playing with his back to the ball. so I, I think in terms of that, it's something I had with other players coming out of college going to safety as well. Um, so, like, you know, in terms of finding the ball, I think it would be easier for Arnett to play safety most of the corner consistently. But I can see why you play in both spots. He's really athletic. So I'm, I'm a big fan of him this year. I can't wait to see what your thoughts are when you watch the senior team. Definitely. I'm really excited to see him down in Mobile as well. Another player that I'm eventually going to get around to, and I'm going to do a lot of studying here. Just because we're about a month out, and of course you're not going to get to study every player that's down at the Senior Bowl, but of course you're going to do some la- some last minute cramming just to you know have a get a jump on some of these guys just so you can get a picture of them in your mind prior to seeing them at practice. So Arnett is definitely one guy I do plan on doing that for. But before we move on and continuing on with our big board wars, I want to remind the listeners about Casper. The original Casper mattress combines multiple support- supportive memory foams. For a quality sleep service with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked NFL and using locked NFL at checkout. Terms and conditions do apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from locked on sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. Again, that's make sure to visit casper.com slash locked NFL at checkout and use the promo code locked NFL. Remember, terms and conditions do apply. Again, that's lockedonpodcast.com slash offers and use the promo code locked NFL. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-N-F-L. All right, so continuing on with our big board wars, I have to ask you, Mr. Irrelevant on your big board, Mr. 200, oh, oh. the final ranking on your big board. LaMichael P. Ryan, the running back from Florida. Yeah, I don't know exactly where I have him at on my board. I don't have it here right here in front of me as far as where exactly he is on my board. But I'm a fan of P. Ryan. I love what he's shown this year. I think he was much better this year uh, than he was last year. 
And I think that's kind of far back for my liking. Yeah. And I know it's that's not true. my board, so I have yeah. to ask you for your explanation on this. So why so low yeah. on Piran? Yeah, and, and this is a myriad of things. I, I think to me, I first and foremost, I love his toughness as a runner. I love his ability to finish runs, contact balance. Love all that about him. I just don't know what you can provide to a team that you can find that you can't find in a draft. I, I think he's a replaceable back. I mean, this doesn't apply to this, but he has off-field issues, documented past in that. Um, I, I don't think he's overly explosive or athletic runner, but as well as that, he just gets yard. He gets what's there, right? He, he gets what's in front of them. He gets what's blocked. I don't think he's getting anything more. more than that. I don't think he can create on his own. But hard nose to play the back system. I think he'd be an ideal backup for you know, a committee that runs. I'm trying to think like, like for example, like the Dallas Cowboys. You know, they have Tony Pollard, they have Zeke, but then you need a guy who you know, you know, plow it in there. Being Zeke gets hurt, and that was a big issue against the um against the Bears. The Bears, uh, you know, when Zeke, when Tony Pollard was hurt, the only running behind Ezekiel was Jameis Alawale. The Cowboys need to find a third running back. Well, Michael, well, Michael Piran would be perfect for the Cowboys offense because I think he's a guy that can run behind good blockers and doesn't really have to think much on his feet. Um, so P. Ryan to me has a replaceable skill set. That's why I think he's so low, so much lower. But is my, I love his toughness. I love his competitive drive as a runner. So the tough, hard nosed runners, I think, will make a roster at the next level. Definitely, and you know, he's one of those guys that, <clears throat> excuse me, that I'm definitely interested in watching as well as, as the year continues on, uh, how he does in the bowl game as well. And I'm, he is a senior bowl guy, I believe. So I believe um, really, so. I'm interested in seeing him down there. As well. And there's another prospect I have to ask you about. And this is one that yeah. is starting to get a lot of buzz. And I tweeted about him uh, a couple of days ago here now. And that's Makai Becton, uh, the ah. massive offensive tackle from Louisville. So you have him ranked 125th on your board. I believe I have him in my top 75. So yeah. there's a bit of a disparity there yeah. uh, with him. So just talk about some of the concerns you have with him. And is he going to be higher for you on your next big board update? Or, you know, what's going on with that? Why is he 125th? Now, in truth be told, I haven't watched it a lot on Makai Becton, especially this year. Okay. Um, all I know – here's what I know about him. From what from the tape I've seen, I've seen a guy that's tall, stiff, guy, but at the same time, he has a sort of, like, nimbleness. It's kind of hard to explain, right? He, it's kind of like a hard time changing direction. But when he gets moving, he can get moving. And so it's interesting to see because he, I know he's really heavy-handed, but I want to see more from him, more refinement and pass protection. But just from a physical tools perspective, and I haven't seen much of any of his tape this year, so that could really change things in my uh, narrative on him. He could easily rise into much higher on my board when I watch his tape this year. But going from past years, this guy was really raw in pass protection, a guy who looked more – you know, who rely a lot on his physical gifts, his size, his power to win instead of just technique. He'd take a lot of false steps out of his stance. Um, but this is a guy that just physically imposing and this huge guy. I think 6'8", 330, whatever it is, this guy's a beast. And this guy's a mauler in the run game. I just want to see more consistency in pass protection. So I'm interested to go back and see his tape this year and see if he kind of refine the area of his game. Do you have any thoughts on why you have not hired? I mean, I'm interested I obviously haven't watched his tape. What, what have you seen so far from his tape this year that has him that much higher? So, little secret about Makai Becton. My brother is actually the assistant receivers coach at Louisville. 
he talks glowing. He talks glowingly about this guy, man. And he told me to go and watch. So I'm gonna give you the three games to watch him: Syracuse, yeah, Florida State, Notre Dame. Watch those three. Ooh, and and the, compa- the comparison, games. the comparison that he gave me was spot on for him. And he said he reminds him a lot of Trent Brown coming oh, out. Oh, that's a good one. I love that comparison. Exact same size. You know, the weight concerns with Trent Brown coming out and still to this day uh, prior to when he got when he was with the 49ers and then going to the Patriots when they did take a risk on him. There's been some weight uh, concern with Becton coming out. But he he's he's talked about how much disciplined he was with him and the light finally clicked for him this year just because he was a guy that really didn't understand the physical gifts that he did have, if that does make sense. Yeah. He didn't play as if he was 6'7", 360, which is what he's listed at. He didn't play that way. He wasn't a mauler, but he was just a guy that really fitted in in a sense. But this year, he just said he completely flipped the switch, and he, you finally saw him mauling guys. And I don't know if you've seen the clip that I posted on Twitter oh, where I he did. was absolutely obliterating people, man. <laughs> like, he looked <laughs> like a man-child out there. Like, I don't know number 11 from Florida State's name, but, man, it was just child's play out there with him. And he said, that's exactly what you saw from him this year. And he finally recognized, like, man, I can really destroy people whenever I want to. And that's consistently what he did. Now, as far as scheme fit, of course, he's not going to be a scheme fit for everyone. Every team isn't going to have him high on their board. And I think it's going to be a similar situation to what, what what we saw with Orlando Brown Jr. coming out. And I think he's going to test much better than what Orlando Brown Jr. did. But as far as just him not being a fit for everyone schematically, I think it's going to be a similar situation. But just imagine him, man, like on the Baltimore Ravens or somebody like that. Just <laughs> plug him in at tackle or guard and just let him absolutely yeah. maul people. So. I think he he's a he, he has to be a guy that really is in a vertical type offense as far as a running game that just wants to get pushed. And you can't consistently count on him as a pass protector as far as, you know, 30, 40 plus times a game. I don't really think that suits his skill set. But if you place him in a ground and pound offense and not to the, you know, maybe not to the degree of the Ravens, but some other teams around the league like the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think he would be a really good fit there uh, that really likes to uh, have a run oriented or run centric type of offense. I think he'll be a fantastic fit there. So Syracuse, Florida State, Notre Dame, go check out those three games. I think you're going to be a big fan of him afterwards. That's my homework, man. But, yeah, I, mean, I got one more dispute with our big boards. And, and typically our big boards across the TDN staff, I mean, look at all these guys. We both have, like, similar positional rankings, top guys. But the one big difference in the top of our boards is with our pass rushers. You have Curtis Weaver. I think in the top 30, if I'm correct. Uh, and you have Bradley and Nye, Utah's Pactual Defense Player of the Year, 94th overall. I have them flipped, basically. I have a Nye 43rd, and I have Curtis Weaver 86th, 85th. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of Curtis Weaver. Uh, I, I think a lot of the way he wins is not going to translate well to the NFL in terms of, I guess, his physical tool set. Whereas I think Anai has a lot of ways he can win. He's really unpredictable. has a lot of moves in his uh, arsenal he could use. Very smart, which will win the plan attack each time he, he takes a rep. Curtis Weaver, to me, wins a lot on his quickness, a lot of interior reps. I don't see him winning a lot on the outside as opposed to I see him winning like, on stunts or like inside playing like, sometimes five or the three technique or four eye. 
So it's be interesting to see how his skill set translates. Uh, but Bradley and I, I think is a more of a true outside pass rusher. So I, I want to get your take on that. Curtis Weaver versus Bradley and I, because I have them flipped. I have an eye as a top 50 guy, and I have Weaver outside my top 80, whereas you have them flipped. It's just really consistency with me, with Anai. I think there's some stretches in games where he does disappear, but there's one play that make you go, whoa. But I think his hand positioning has really helped their bunch. And USC, I think that was – when he played against USC, I think that was one game where he did flash a lot. I was watching him Austin against Jackson. Austin Jackson. Yeah, that was that was a really good battle, a really good back-and-forth battle. He showed some really good things. He's developed a half-spin move and a full-spin move this year as well. So – He's really added some things to his arsenal. He's a lot more explosive this year. Yeah, he does. He does. Now, he, he's not an overly bendy guy that's going to win the corner a right. lot. And that really does kind of scare me about him. I think that's probably why I'm a little bit lower on him. But just talking about Weaver, I just like his versatility. Now, the thing about Weaver that does scare me is that he, a lot of his sacks have come against lowly competition. And exactly. I believe seven, seven and a half of his sacks this year have come against uh, out-of-conference opponents yep. uh, outside the Mountain West. So that really does kind of scare you about him so uh, I'm a fan of Weaver he actually came into Boise State as a defensive tackle so that's really why you're seeing him slide down inside a bit more than usual but I like that that's the type of versatility that I like in these defensive linemen and I think he can be I don't want to say ultimate chess piece but he can be a guy you can use a defensive tackle or even edge rusher uh, in a 3-4 or even a 4-3 defense I think he can play He's a guy that, that is scheme proof and he can play in either or so that versatility really gives gives him the edge to me but I think they definitely have a very diverse skill set as far as just comparing the two. But consistency and just not being able to corner consistently is what scares me a little bit about Anai. Right. And, and, and here's the thing with Weaver that I'm concerned with, and you mentioned a lot of it. Uh, I think and a lot of his production comes inside as opposed to on the outside. And yeah. it makes sense. I mean, this guy played. This guy came to Boise State as a defensive tackle, and I think it was 300 pounds, and he's cut weight since then. But he reminds me a lot of Ronald Blair coming out of Appalachian State. Yeah. You know, I, was a, I was a big fan of Ronald Blair, but I never thought of him as a first-round guy. And, and that's why I'm kind of puzzled by Weaver's getting his first-round. I think it was mock 20th overall in Tom McShay's recent mock draft. Now, it puzzled me is I was like, you know, we've seen this kind of guy before, but he's always been, you know, drafting third, fourth round, never that high. Because I, I just don't see him as a true edge rusher. I, I just don't see you know, his build, his athleticism. I just don't think he's that kind of player. Um, but I mean, it, you're right. This guy's super versatile. Again, like Ronald Blair, I'm worried about his physical traits, his bend. I'm worried about his lack of length. He's only about 6'3", and I don't think he has that much arm length. I think he wins a lot of his quickness as opposed to his arm length. And that's going to be a problem for him going against those big offensive tackles. So it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up. I think he's going to be one of the fallers of this year's draft. And I, I don't mean that in a slight. I think it's more so where it's going to come back you know, regress back to the mean to where he should have gone, the first, should have been ranked in the first place. Um, so, like, I'm not a big fan of him, but I, I in terms of where he's being slotted, I, I like Curtis Weaver's tape a lot, but I think it's better suited for, like, the 60 range, more so than the 20 range, where he's getting mocked. So, like, I like Curtis Weaver's film, but I don't like it to the point to where I think he's a first-round guy. Right. I, I think he's more of a Ronald Blair depth piece. He can plug in, you know, you know, the Cowboys had a guy named Jason Hatcher uh, a while ago, I think about, you know, a couple of years ago. Very good play, very good player for the Cowboys because he was so versatile. You could play him at left defensive end, base, you play him at three technique, all over the place. He played five techniques for the Cowboys in three, four for a while. You can move him all over a scheme proof kind of player. That's why I see Weaver as Weaver's a scheme proof guy who played even in an odd or even front, two gap. He can play on the outside, but I don't see him as a really high upside sack artist kind of player. I see him more as like a 
valuable run defender who can kind of play all over the field, but not really going to be that bendy guy on the outside. So it's gonna be, I think you have a scheme production for him at the next level. And I don't see the, I don't, I don't think drafting that in the first two rounds would be wise. Uh, so I, I mean, but he has a skill set that you can mold and you can create, but I don't think it's going to be something that I would be able to willing to take in the first round. It's very interesting you say that, and a lot of great points as well. But I, I can't wait to see how the NFL does have this defensive tackle class stacked, especially edge rusher, just because, you know, you're getting into second-tier guys. Well, I shouldn't say second-tier, but, you know, guys like Julian Aquora, uh, Raekwon Davis, Terrell Lewis, uh, Kalevon Chason, some other guys in this defensive line class where we don't really know how the NFL is right. going to stack them up. But I can't wait to see and Terrell I, Lewis. I think the NFL is going to love Terrell Lewis. Yeah, I think I so think too. I think the NFL is going to love him. Yeah, he's a win. He's, he's a winner. This guy has this crazy explosive, uh, elite pass rush production on the even it's not in sacks, it's in disruptions. Because to me, disruption is production. So I mean, this guy on film is always disrupting the pocket, always collapsing, coming with power and speed. If his medicals check out, he's going to be a top twenty pick. I wouldn't doubt that at all. And you talk about one guy that can blow up at the Senior Bowl. I think he definitely is that just because he's a bit high cut as far as his body. Yeah, he has really small legs, but that explains why he's so explosive as a pass rusher. And he's going to be blown by a bunch of those guys down at the Senior Bowl. So I can't wait to watch him along with Jordan Love. He's another guy that I'm going to have a red dot beside to check out down there at Mobile. So I'm really excited to check him out. But Uh, We're going to take a quick break before we move on. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about a couple guys we would stand on the table for in this draft class. So we'll get into that when we come back from when we come back from the break. Excuse me. Uh, So once we come back from the break, but here's a quick word from our sponsors. All right. And we are back. And this is a segment that I did not tell Jonah about just because I like to see how fast he can think on his feet. Yep. And see how quick he is on his feet. And we're going to discuss some guys that we like to call our pet cats or some guys we would stand on the table for in this draft class. So you have yourself in a draft room and these guys are on the draft board. And who are so I'll put it this way. We'll go one by one. So your first guy that you would stand on the table for in this draft class. So you're on the clock. You're the GM of, or let's say you're the scout of a team trying to explain to the general manager, the head guy in charge, that you would stand on the table for this guy to draft just because he can make this team much better. Who would that guy be? This is a great example because in a lot of war rooms, you have cross-checking from the scouts on all their reports. I bet you I'd be probably the only person in that war room who has a first-round grade on Jeff Gladney out of TCU. And I'd have to convince the rest of the scouts in front office that he is indeed a top 20 player in this class. This guy I would stand on the table for 10 times over. This guy is a 4-3 athlete. He has elite production over four years as a starter in a power conference. This guy plays both press and off man. He's gotten better each and every year. This guy's an ascending player. He has four years of experience of ball production. He's twitchy man coverage. He has all the traits you look for. He's a long player. I think he's going to have a great performance at the Senior Bowl, and he's going to blow up the combine. You're running out of excuses to say why he can't be this. And I think he's a guy that, it, in terms of what I look for in a cornerback, the checklist, he checks the boxes. And to me, he's a first-round corner all day long. I'd rather have him over the guys like C.J. Henderson, the guy who can't tackle. Gladney is a guy who's physical, not very good nose during run support. I agree. I argue he's the most physical cornerback in this draft class, pound for pound. And to me, when you add those ball skills and speed, he's a guy, he's a cornerback 
that I would be absolutely willing to draft in the first round because I know he could be an immediate starter for me at the next level. Man, you are. I can already see who your draft crush is going to be for this year, and I can tell the one guy you're going to have hard eyes for down in Mobile. It's, it's going to be Jeff Gladney. I cannot wait to see your face light up watching him. So uh, I'm excited to dive into the back half of his film this year. But the first guy, and we're not necessarily just talking about the first round. We're just talking about in general some guys we would stand on the table for. And I've had plenty of players that, you know, I would stand on the table for in years past. But this probably is one of my favorites that I have studied this year. And it is Ashton Davis, the safety from California. I am a big fan of Ashton Davis, and I'll tell you why. So much. I'll tell you why. So when I'm evaluating safeties, I like guys that are really versatile. A guy that can play single high on the roof, but he can also come down and be strong as a strong safety and in run support. And that's exactly what Ashton Davis does. Now, I think he can be a bit of a torpedo as far as out of control with his tackling technique, but I think that is easily correctable. And it's just him a matter of coming to balance. But myself, when I'm evaluating and doing these background checks and these background stories, I just love guys that were former walk-ons and they worked their way up just because it just means something to me when they have an extra type of passion for the game just because they weren't awarded a scholarship or anything like that and things weren't given to him and he had to work his way up. He came in as a track athlete for the most part, but he had to work his way up eventually from a walk-on to a starter and he has been extremely productive in the Pac-12 and I just love everything about him. He's super rangy. Uh, He's going to test off the charts as far as running and he's going to jump out the gym for the vertical as well. So Ashton Davis is one guy that I definitely would pound the table for in this draft class just because of his versatility, his ball skills, and his range, and him being a former walk-on and working his way up to a full-time starter. I love that about him. And here's why I love Ashton Davis and why I'm starting to, he's starting to grow on me a lot. He actually moved up to my third safety over Brandon Jones and Hamza Nazaldine just because I think he has so much more room to grow. And he's already looked so much better than last year's tape. And that's what really convinced me because the leap and leaps and bounds he took from 2018 to 2019 has been monumental. I mean, this guy looks so much more disciplined in coverage and his own concepts uh, in the deep middle of the uh, free safety. And, he, and this guy has ball skills for days. He's a former hurdle champion. You know, he's an elite athlete. And this guy, you know, when he's focusing on one sport, he's either a multi-sport guy, track and football. He focuses on one sport. Now you can now your whole focus and dedication is to football. This guy's only gonna get better and better and better. And it was the same argument I made about Leighton Vanderesh a couple of years ago. Why I was all in on him was because Vanderesh played six man football. He was only a one year starter at Boise State, and he had yeah. an elite season. And he's only gonna get better and better. So you always want to look for those ascending players, and Ashton Davis fits right in that mold. That's why he's starting to grow on me, and that's why he'll be a top three safety on my board. Without question. So moving on to our second and final player that we will bang the table for. So who's your second guy? I got to tell you, and this guy, I did not get to his tape until about a month ago. But I am all in. <laughs> I am all in. I, you, you can just see me now. I have my, I have my poker chips. I, you know, I have people sitting on the table. I'm like, hey, put me all in. I'm all in on this guy. Josh Jones. Left oh, tackle. Yeah. Good player. This Good dude, player. And I know that I'm probably higher on him than anyone in the country. I have him 25th overall on my big board. I think he's my OT4. I have him, I had him, I have him above guys like Lucas Niang, Alex Leatherwood, Austin Jackson, all these guys who are 
pretty much thought of consensusly to be top offensive tackles in this class. Josh Jones has a chance to be this year's Andre Dillard, where he rises from, I think, mostly obscurity for like second, third round guy to top 20 pick. I think mm-hmm. he's a senior bowl guy. Uh, all I love about him, former basketball player, and you can see that, former basketball star. Um, this guy you know, has the flexibility, the knee bend, and pass protection. There's a people mover in the run game. A four-year starter at multiple positions, left and right tackle. Um, production has not waned. Gotten better each and every year with his technique and discipline as a pass protector and a run block, for that matter. This guy is phenomenal. And he's been All-American, like, I think three or four straight years of those years. Production off the charts. His tape absolutely matches it. I'm a big fan of Jones. I think when you look at his incomplete resume on paper and look at his resume on film, it all matches up to a guy that should be a first-round pick, especially with how highly valued the offensive tackle position is. And I think we stack his resume with guys like Austin Jackson, Alex Leatherwood, those guys. I think there's a clear drop-off drop off after the first three guys in terms of Jedrick Wills, Wurfs, Thomas. Who's that next guy that I want to bang the table for? Josh Jones, to me, has separated himself from the Austin Jacksons, the Alex Leatherwoods, the Lucas Niangs, because of how productive he's been for four years. His traits as a six foot seven, three ten former basketball player who just continues to get better, and just his overall length and feet and pass protection. I'm a huge fan of Josh Jones. I think he can play left or right tackle. I think he could be an immediate star for you at the next level. Big fan of him here as well. And we've talked about this repeatedly on this show time and time again. Athletic offensive tackles are always drafted around earlier than what they're supposed to be. We saw it last year with Andre Dillard. We've seen it in years past with Colton Miller. And I think I don't think he's probably as fluid as Dillard. But as far as the, the athleticism and the pass protection aspect, I think he's right up there with Andre Dillard. And I think he's miles ahead of what Colton Miller showed out of UCLA as far as the technical standpoint, you know, as far as his bend and his athleticism. Now, he's probably not going to test out of the out of this world like Colton Miller did. And maybe he will. I'm not really sure exactly where he's going to test, but it's going to be really hard for him to test better than what Colton Miller did just because it was ridiculous what he put up at the combine. But we could see some similar numbers to what Dillard did put up from Jones or what uh, we could see some similar numbers from Jones as to what Dillard did last year at the combine and like you said man i'm a big fan of him and what he has shown uh he, he was a key cog of that offense and protecting the backside of Derek king for the past few years uh, we saw what he was capable of so uh, my second guy though and this may come as a bit of a surprise but he's not gonna be an immediate starter probably year one but down the road i think he is gonna be a really good player and his name is Cam Dantzler, the quarterback, the cornerback, I should say, from Mississippi State. I, I am a big fan of Cameron Dantzler just because he has a supreme amount of production in the SEC. Whenever they played the best teams in the SEC, he always showed up. And if you go back and watch him against Alabama, he played really well in that game. Now, he does need to clean up his tackling a bit. And it's not a matter of he doesn't want to. It's just a matter of his technique being cleaned up. And this is a name that he reminds me of coming out. And we're starting to see this guy really pick up in his second year. Actually, his third year, I should say. And he reminds me a lot of Akilah Weatherspoon. Yes, out of yeah, I was just about to say that. I dude. think I, he I is an right identical away. comparison to what Akilah Weatherspoon was coming out. And he reminds me a lot of Akilah Weatherspoon coming out. And I think that's the type of ceiling that Cam Dantzler could have. Now, that's not to say he's going to be, 
you know, a big time starter or even a key starter in his first year. But his second year or even going into his third year, I think he's going to be a really, really good player. Oh, oh my goodness. I love that comparison so much. I was really going to bring that up. I was waiting for you to finish what you were saying to talk about Akella Weatherspoon and him because they're really mere images of each other. Yeah. Weatherspoon coming out of Colorado. I know you were scouting. We both scouted him coming out of Colorado. Yeah. Weatherspoon to me was, I think, had some of the highest upside of any corner in that draft. But you knew he was a draft and stash guy. I called in my when I scouted your report on Witherspoon, I called him like a European NBA draft prospect. <laughs> I love that. We, we, we stash him overseas for a year, and then you then you reap the benefits later. It's the same thing with Cam Dantzler. I think you put him in an NFL strength and conditioning program. You give him a little stronger. I think you kind of own it on his technique. You kind of just kind of you know just registered him for a year almost, and he kind of reap the benefits later. Same thing with Dantzler, man. I think this guy has upside through the roof. Productive player, but I think he just needs a year owning his technique with the NFL defensive backs coach, getting in a strength and conditioning program because he has all the traits you look for, whether it's the physical profile, the length, the speed, the ball skills. It's all about just becoming a better cover corner. And I think he has the traits you can mold. He's like a moldable piece of clay. And I think whether it's like Justin Lane, Akella Weathers, those like yeah. Dantzler fits that mold. That he's going to appeal to a lot of teams. Justin Lane, same circumstance. He is drafting staff by the Steelers. So I think you're going to see him drafting that same range. Weathers was drafting the third round, I believe. Lane yeah. drafting the third round as well. That's where you can see the sweet spot for Dantzler. I have him, I think, somewhere in the 80s on my board. So that fits right into where I think he should be going. Same here. He's 85 on my board. So we have the same you know, line of thinking with him. And it's, it's interesting to use the Weatherspoon comparison just because I think it's very identical for him. And he received some really good coaching at Mississippi State, Terrell Buckley. We know that's a very notable name in NFL circles. And he even mentioned when I was writing an article about him uh, this summer about Dantzler that so Buckley also coached Jair Alexander and Xavier Rhodes during their college careers. And he said Dantzler probably has the biggest upside out of all of those guys. So. Wow. And he wasn't just talking just to be talking, just because we, we know this is a, a 10-year-plus NFL veteran. Also, he's coached some really good corners during his time. So him coming out and saying that about Dantzler just goes to show you the type of upside that he can have in the future. And, man, he's probably going to end up being one of my biggest draft crushes in this entire draft class just because he does need to add some weight. He really does have a bit of a slinky frame. He is a bit slender, but once you know he can focus on football and just football, I think he can add that weight. And you talk about – a drafting stash and a European NBA type of prospect. I love that comparison. That's something that I'm probably going to steal when I'm talking about him on some outside podcast. But I'm a, I'm a big fan of him, and I love what he brings to the table. Do you, you know who's another guy he reminds me of? Another senior, a senior bowl guy a, a while back, James Bradbury coming out of Samford. I don't know if you scouted him coming out of Samford, but he's the same kind of guy. I can read my scoutboard back on him, and this guy, you know, I had a third, third, fourth round grade on him coming out, and super physical, long dude, but so raw in his man coverage technique. He needed a year to develop, a kind of like a, a learning year in Carolina. His Carolinas threw him out there to the wolves, and he got destroyed his rookie year. And he ended up becoming one of the more productive corners in the NFC South and the NFC in general today. So Bradbury is a good, another good comparison for him because the guy who's long, lanky coming out. Didn't really have a good man coverage skill set, but you know he had ball skills. You knew he was good press man coverage. Same thing with Dantzler. I called Bradbury. I don't know if you saw the, the clip from uh, Fran Fraschilla during the NBA draft 
is that Bruno Caboclo coming out of Brazil. <laughs> two years away from being two years away. <laughs> yep. I, that's why I said my scouting report on James Bradbury. I had a third, fourth round grade on him coming out of Sanford. I said he is two years away from being two years away. It ended up being he was only one year away but uh, before putting up production. But that's the way I see Dantzler, man. I see him as a European NBA drafting stash guy. And I hope more people start using that because it's one of my favorite things to say about a prospect uh, just because, you know, it, it's, it's like you, you register him for a year, then you can bring him in just like the European style in the NBA. So a dancer to me, high, high upside. He's not ready for NFL snaps right now. I love that, man. And I'm a huge fan of Dantzler. But, you know, uh, there's some other players that we will get into, well, maybe not on this episode, but in future episodes. So really good discussion today, though, man. One of my favorite episodes that we have done yet. So that is our show for today. And of course, thank you guys for listening to the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside Jonah Tolls, as always. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Once again, we are the Locked On College Football Podcast, and thank you for listening.